This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and of course, children of all ages, welcome to the program. Yep, yep, yep. The Hip Hop Prof is the name, and of course, segmentation, targeting, messaging, and positioning is the game. Listeners, you are to be saluted on the daily basis. Baby, please, this is Sirius XM, Channel 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. My co-host, Barbara Kahn, is not in tonight, so of course, your boy is flying solo. I'm your host, Professor America. Yep, and they call me the modern-day marketing warrior. Let the music flow over you, ladies and germs. I am the czar of the M-A-R. I'm always grinning and winning up here at the Wharton School. It's an incredible day. It's a little bit gray. It's a little bit dreary. But you know what? Nothing rains on this parade on Locust Walk. Here in the studio, we are super excited today. Guys, listen to me very carefully. In 1881, okay, we are the Wharton School. We were invented. We are the first collegiate business school on the planet. That means that we wrote the book on marketing, and we create the knowledge right here on the seventh floor of John M. Huntsman Hall of this very venerable institution. And this is, of course, the show that brings the knowledge directly to the people. This is Marketing Matters, and we air live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we've got, as usual, an absolutely incredible show lined up for you this week. We've got Joshua March. He is founder and CEO of something called, listen, Conver Social. Wait for it. Conver Social. He's written a new book all about the future of customer service in this world of social media, messaging, and artificial intelligence. It's called Message Me. Let's jump right in and bring in our first guest. Josh, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great to be on. Excellent. So I got to always start, Josh, because I want to give my listeners a sense of my guests' journey in terms of how they kind of evolved into their current passion points and the things that they're doing so innovatively in their day-to-day stuff uh, currently. But I always want to step back and get a little sense of context. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you start out? What were you studying? What, were, what, what, what was, your, what was your, your early points of interest and things of that nature? Sure. It's certainly been uh, an interesting journey with lots of ups and downs so far. Uh, I originally wanted to be a lawyer, oh. and I, I, I didn't, uh, my sense, I did an undergrad uh, law degree mm-hmm. in, in England, um, but during one of the summer holidays when I was still at, at, at college, um, there was a, a legal change in England uh, where every bar and restaurant and takeaway in, in the whole country had to change their licensing laws, mm-hmm. um, and I got a job uh, with a firm who was scaling up to to help do these license applications. Okay. And I realized pretty quickly after a couple of weeks, that, <laughs> uh, you didn't actually have to be a qualified lawyer to offer this as a service uh-huh. and that it was really easy and I knew how to do it. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I don't understand why you know, these other people are getting, charging all this money and mm. I'm doing all the work and then not paying me much. So I just, <laughs> so I quit and, uh, and did it myself. Okay. And, oh, interesting. Uh, had an interesting summer and by the end of it, uh, kind of had this realization that I really enjoyed the business side of it okay. more than the legal side of it, mm. and that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Wow! So it was um, even at those early moments, Josh, that you had that that entrepreneurial spirit. It was a bug inside you. Was it something that was yearning to come out? Yeah, it was something. It was something that I had never even thought about mm. before. Then it just wasn't even in my 
kind of you know, frame of reference. Ah. Um, but as soon as it, it moved into that frame of reference, I, I immediately became very excited about it. And I, and I knew that that was what I was going to be doing going forward. And so you made the transition, the transition, Josh, from, from, from law into business. Yeah. And then you, you it's, it, according to my analysis here, you pursued a startup founding a company called iNetwork Marketing. What was that? Um, well, yeah, so there was, a, there was a few different things. So the Uh-oh. actual first thing I did uh-huh. was I set up an e-commerce company when oh. I was still at college. Okay. Um, and uh, very interesting story about that, which I won't go into because we'll, we'll run out of time. But, um, <laughs> but essentially, it failed pretty miserably. Okay. And the experience of that got me really interested in online marketing because uh-huh. I wanted to learn about, okay, where did I fail? You know, how, how do I get better next time? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was as I was getting more and more into the whole online marketing space that uh, the whole kind of social media craze started to come about, you know, uh-huh. it was kind of 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. And when Facebook launched their application platform, which was in mid-2007, allowed third, allowing third parties to build apps on Facebook for the first time, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a really incredible opportunity for brands to uh, engage and reach customers in a way that they'd never been able to before. Gotcha. Um, and so I got I got super excited about it. I started learning everything I could about it. Uh, I saw I taught myself to program and started actually building these Facebook apps and and I started oh. cold calling uh, you know companies. I was still in England at the time. Now I'm in New York, but I was, I was in London, kind of cold calling companies in London, saying, "Hey, you need to be doing Facebook apps." <laughs> um, and you know, at the time, 2007, no one else was calling them telling them about Facebook apps, but they were very interested in them. Okay. And so they all took my call and uh, ended up so, you know, essentially creating an agency. Oh, wow. One of the first agencies in the world building Facebook apps for big brands. I know marketing was an old name, then it became iPlatform, uh, which it ended up uh, sticking us into, until we sold that company in, in 2011. Oh, wow. Um, but you know, along the way, uh, while, while it was an amazing experience, building that agency, you know, I never really believed. Uh, after a couple of years, I was like, you know what? I don't think Facebook apps are the future. Oh. You know, they're very exciting. Okay. But, but I knew that they, I, it was kind of clear to me that they were going to be a bit of a fad. Okay. They subsequently were proven to be. Mm-hmm. But I but I, I really believed in some of the big shifts that were happening in, in the world and, and how people were communicating. And I really saw that as the key change that social media was bringing about, mm-hmm. right? That, that, Communication was moving away from kind of these traditional channels, you know, phone calls, emails, letters, whatever you want. And it was moving into smartphones, moving into social media, moving into messaging. And I really saw that as a kind of fundamental shift that was just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, you know, as that shift happened, it would really fundamentally transform how com- how companies would have to communicate with their customers. That's Unbelievable. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to step back for a second, though, Josh, because I want you to, to school our listeners a little bit. You mentioned that, you know, you were working through entrepreneurial efforts. We never use the word fail. Uh, we, we always think about it as, you know, the process of the of the first success. You know, yeah. uh, what what would you what would you say would you characterize as kind of the, the big key learning that you had from those initial entrepreneurial efforts that sort of put the spotlight squarely on marketing? What was the, the big insight that you felt like, wow, I really learned X and this was really important as I transitioned into the successful selling of my company in 2011. Yeah. You know, what immediately comes to mind, and this probably isn't that flattering to me, 
uh, is that I, I learned that I didn't know everything. Mm. Um, and uh, it sounds obvious now, but uh, if you go and spoke to my 19-year-old, 20-year-old self, <laughs> I was pretty sure I knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I was just you know, massively overconfident. Uh, and I, I think one of my biggest lessons uh, as I came out of that first um, the, the e-commerce startup was that as I kind of reflected on, on the mistakes that I'd made, I realized that uh, more experienced people had been telling me about the mistakes that I'd been making. Oh. And I'd been, you know, sitting there listening studiously and taking notes, but then not really, not really believing them. <laughs> not, not, not letting it, it not soak really in, not, not actually, not it soak on, yeah, yeah. Not, not really internalizing that feedback. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I really learned the value of, um, you know, of learning mm-hmm. and of, uh, you know, finding people who've been there and done it and, and learning from them and taking advice and hiring people who are, who are better than you. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting balance as a CEO and as an entrepreneur, right? Because in the end, the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to make the decision in the end. And often you'll speak to two incredibly talented and experienced people and they'll tell you different things. Um, so you've always got to make the final decision, uh, but you really have to pay to listen very, very carefully, especially when people are giving you warning signs. But here's something that's interesting as well, Josh. Tell me if this is a fair characterization of this, and that is the idea that, you know, you said you were overconfident. Isn't that a kind of necessary – you tell me. Is this, isn't that a, a necessary kind of motivational impetus for entrepreneurs? You know, the difference between you, you're an entrepreneur and me. I'm a guy on the sidelines just, like, loving what you do and wishing I could do it is that, you know, sometimes it's like jumping in, right? And just I'm just going to do it. And, you know, I'm going to kind of ignore some of this. You know, there's a million reasons not to do it that I could pay attention to. I'm just going to do it. And yeah. part, part of it, I think, has to do with some confidence issues, right? So that's, yeah. it, it can be sort of a, I guess, a double-edged sword. What do you think about that? I, I think that's completely correct. Yeah, the, um, yeah that, that often overconfidence, you know, even virtue and arrogance can be a kind of you know, <laughs> necessary symptom, you know, necessary precondition for someone who really is massively unqualified <laughs> and, and, and young to, to kind of jump in and just think they can go and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, 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 do, I do sometimes think, you know, I, I, have, I have friends who are incredible entrepreneurs who took a slightly different path and, you know, they did work in certain companies and, and, and got experience first and mm. then ventured out for themselves. And I do think, you know, well, I, you know, maybe I could have avoided some of my mistakes if I, if I'd learned a bit more mm. first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's the only route. Um, but certainly for me, for whatever reason, my personality, uh, I think I always struggled working for other people and, and um, just <laughs> yes. had to put myself through the pain of all those lessons. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, you're building something. It's almost like being an artist, wouldn't you say? It's like you're building something, you're creating something. I mean, there's a powerful impetus there. In some senses, you are, you know, you're flying the plane as you're building it. And that's, would you say that that's, that's invigorating? That's kind of, you know, exciting. It has some, there's some adrenaline there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, for me, I, I love learning, right? And I, I love uh, constantly studying and learning new things. And for me, when, you know, I make a mistake, um, you know, I, my, my tendency, I don't beat myself up about it. Mm-hmm. You know, my tendency is just to kind of every mistake I make, I, I kind of you know, relish using that as an opportunity to get better and, and improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the approach that you need to take in business, right? And, and I think especially... You know, that there's obviously building a, a business and a startup is difficult, um, but also when you're building uh, your business and a product in a completely new market, 
which is what we've been doing all this time with social media and messaging and, mm-hmm. you know, and AI now, and it's kind of innovating and moving so fast. You know, there isn't necessarily a playbook for that. Yeah, there, there's, there's good business principles of how you manage well and how, how you be a good leader. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actually what you're doing as a business and, and strategy, you, know, you, you are figuring it out from scratch. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that um, you know, a- action is always better than inaction. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's always better to do something and then learn from it mm-hmm. than to not do something. Right, because, um, because not doing something, to your point, not, you know, not having that intellectual curiosity, Josh, not doing something uh, definitely leads to the, the lack of learning, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We, we live in this very, very complex world. And when you're doing something new, mm. uh, no one knows the answer. And often you just can't come up with the answer, you know, in a meeting room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, only, the only way you can come up with the answer is by trying it and you know, getting a product out there, going mm. in front of customers, getting out into the world and, and seeing what sticks and what doesn't stick. Um, and and uh, you know, the, the faster you can do that and iterate, uh, you know, the faster you'll, you'll become successful. Very, very cool. I appreciate you sharing your journey with us, Josh. Thanks so much. Uh, I do want to switch a little bit to talking about your, your area of expertise. We brought you on. You are the guru. Uh, you, you've, been, you've been studying. You're intellectually curious. You've been studying this, this social phenomena, social messaging, social media, and so on. Tell us a little bit about uh, Conversocial and how Conversocial uh, put you towards, you know, eventually writing this great book that you're going to tell us about. Sure. Yeah. So if I kind of take the story where I left off, which was that I really believed in in this big shift that was happening in communication and that that was going to dramatically change how businesses would have to communicate with their customers. Mm -hmm. And so we started Conversocial really just with that vision of saying, how can we build software and tools that are are going to help companies communicate with their customers Mm -hmm. through all of these new channels that are coming about? And you know, when we first started, we weren't sure at the time, was it going to be big companies, small companies, you know, marketing, sales, customer care. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of really, really got into it and ex- did a lot of experimentation. And uh, you know, I won't go into the full details, but essentially we came out really excited by um, the potential to help businesses really deliver large-scale customer service through these new channels. Gotcha. We saw it. We we really believed that every company would have to start you know, shifting their customer service into social media and messaging, mm-hmm. and that um, you know, no one. The, it was a very classic case of the kind of innovators' dilemma for the incumbent customer service vendors, mm. and none of the other startups in the social media space were really thinking about customer care. They were all much more focused on marketing. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so we, we, when we started, it was really with this mission to kind of bridge the gap between uh, the needs of a large enterprise contact center and the rapidly shifting worlds of social media. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and, and when we started, it was really public social media, right? It was like people were started turning to Twitter, turning to Facebook pages as a way of like escalating a customer service issue that they wanted help with. Mm, and mm-hmm. They weren't happy with the with <laughs> Uh, whatever response they got, you know, the, the three-day response they got over email, mm. waiting on hold, they were kind of fed up and they like started complaining publicly as a way to get a faster response or, or get a different answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so it very much started as companies kind of jumping on that. And we kind of set out to help companies really do that in a meaningful way. And, and that's largely what we did for a few years very, very successfully. You know, we work with many of the biggest huh. uh, consumer brands in the world, Hotels, how, sorry to interrupt, airlines, Josh. retailers. How, mm-hmm. Sorry, interrupt. how big was your team? This is amazing. How big was your team at that time? I mean, when we first started, 
um, you know, it was a kind of side project project of the agency, and mm. you know, I was kind of design. I was doing the design, and uh, <laughs> we had you know, front end engineer and a back end engineer, and I was mm-hmm. selling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mid two thousand eleven was when we yeah mm-hmm. hats. Mid two thousand eleven, we raised our first round of funding, and you know, started building a bigger engineering team around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of relaunched you know, launched a product focused on 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 social customer care at the beginning of two thousand twelve. At the time, we were probably ten to fifteen people. Uh, wow. you know, now, now we're over 70 people. Um, we have about 250 clients worldwide. Uh, and yeah, but there've started to be some really big changes in the industry mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, year and a half, two years, uh, which are extremely exciting for us and, and for the customer care industry as a whole. And that's what, what led me to, to, to write the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the rise of private messaging mm. and, and also, uh, the really big developments that started to come in automation and AI. Right, right. I love this term you use. It is social customer care. Did did you coin this? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, we actually did. Um, you know, I, I won't. I can't take full credit for it. But but when we first started, you know, social customer service that wasn't a phrase that people were using. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we we kind of set out and and really did a huge amount of thought leadership and research. Um, and helped kind of establish it, and it quickly started being used by other people and became a commonly used phrase. Um, now we're kind of doing the same with social messaging. Um, oh. And you know, I, I think the, the big shift that's happened is that you know, social customer service, when, it, when, it, when you're talking about public customer care, is only ever going to be a few percent of customer service volume. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of the escalation channel. Mm-hmm. But with private messaging... Uh, increasingly companies are starting to actively encourage their customers say hey if you have a complaint you have a problem you know message us um, because they know that consumers prefer it you know, it's super effortless and convenient to just message a brand off your phone mm. uh, and it's also actually easier for the brand to manage efficiently like the, the workflow is better for agents and it's easier to automate and so you have this real double whammy of it being you know, great for the consumers, but also great for the business mm-hmm. in a way that most other service channels aren't. Um, and because companies are starting to promote it, it's starting to replace you know, traditional service channels like email and chats and right. even starting to eat into phone calls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, have, we have clients today where over 50% of all of their customer service volume is coming through messaging. Wow. That is unbelievable. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's actually bigger than, than phone and email. And the, the, the exciting thing about that is that when you, when you start to get into volumes that big, then the impact that you're having on customer experience and on you know, the cost of delivering customer care starts to become really major. You know, you're not just impacting mm-hmm. how the brand's managing social. Mm-hmm. You're impacting you know, the brand's overall approach to customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been the big shift that's happened over the last year and a half. Very, very, very cool stuff. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Joshua March, founder and CEO of Converse Social. Uh, he founded the company in 2009 based on his vision that online, he's been talking about this, communication and customer service, really basically undergoing a seismic shift requiring business to invest in new processes and technologies to attempt to manage the rapidly shifting social landscape. If you're interested in joining the conversation, please feel free to give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two. 7866. Now, what I really like about this, Josh, is that the, you're, the, you know, there's a lot of, I think, efficiencies that can be 
um, created in terms of reducing cost, I would think, by automating this process to a certain extent of providing, quote, I, I love this term you use, social customer care. Can you speak a little bit about that and kind of transition us into the book, uh, The Future of Customer Service in the Era of Social Messaging and Artificial Intelligence, which sounds like so, you know, super, super, you know, science fictiony. So I'm really excited to hear about this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, there are two, uh, there are two major reasons why uh, messaging, social messaging, is a much more cost-effective uh, customer service channel than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main one is, the, the first one is around workflow. So if you think about messaging, you know, messaging is kind of like texting a friend. You know, if you're texting friends, how many friends can you text with any one time? Mm-hmm. Well, it's quite a lot, right? Because right. You, know, uh, you might text a friend and maybe they'll respond back in an hour or 10 minutes or five minutes. But like, you know, and then you can message someone else and then mm-hmm. you can message someone else. You're not kind of locked in any one of these conversations and you can't like switch around. Mm. Uh, and that's huge. Because huge. in the customer service world, you know, if you think about phone calls, well, you know, you can only be on one phone call at a time, right? So right, right. one agent, one customer, that's <laughs> right. it until the phone call is done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, live chat came around. Um, but live chat, you know, you're still sitting there in a live conversation. And so, you know, maybe the agent can handle two, you know, maybe three at a push, but like actually it's quite difficult to manage three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in messaging, there's no limit. You know, the agent's not sitting there locked into a conversation and you know, sometimes the customer might respond quickly. Sometimes they might respond, they might take a day. And so rather than like sitting there waiting for the customer to respond, the agents are just kind of flowing. There's no downtime. They're just dealing with the next, the next conversation, the next message, the next message, the next message. So it's super, super efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that, that's the first one that, you know, even without any automation, as long as you have the right tools and workflow, the same number of agents can handle significantly more customers. Got it. Exponentially um, is what you're saying almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah almost exponentially. I mean, mm-hmm. they're still going to sit and write the responses. Mm-hmm. And from a consumer perspective, it's great. You know, you're, just, you're on your phone, you send a message, five, ten minutes later, you get a response. It's super convenient. Mm. Now, the other part is around automation. And this is where it gets really interesting. Because, you know, there was a lot of hype a couple of years ago around chatbots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was actually sitting at uh, F8, Facebook's developer conference, close to the front, where Mark Zuckerberg uh, announced uh, the bot launch of the bot platform on Messenger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone went completely crazy. Um, you know, like, first of all, all of the other tech platforms, like, immediately announced that they were doing <laughs> a bot platform of some kind in weeks. So suddenly everyone had brought one up. Uh-huh. And, like... You know, everyone was like saying, you know, heralding the end of phone calls. Mm. You know, every app was going to be a bot. You know, human customer service was completely dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything, you know, it was just kind of bot, bot, bot. And, you know, what, what people realized pretty quickly is that, uh, you know, building simple rule-based mm-hmm. you know, decision tree bots you know, only really works in very limited use cases. And, um, you know, from a customer service perspective, will very quickly lead to a dead end and a frustrating experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, but along the way, you know, there have been some actual real advances in, in machine learning and artificial intelligence, right? Okay, right. Um, you know, deep learning is something that's been around in principle for a long time, but hardware advances in the last couple of years mean that it's now far cheaper and far faster to apply deep learning techniques to large data sets than ever before. Mm-hmm. And that's opening up new opportunities to actually apply 
uh, apply these things into, into real business business applications like customer care. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the exciting thing about messaging, and this is something that, that we're doing and people are just starting to catch on about, is that that asynchronous nature, you know, the fact that it's not, it doesn't have to be fully real time. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can wait 5, 10, 15 minutes plus longer for a response uh-huh. means that you can combine humans and AI Uh-oh. in the same conversation mm. in a really seamless way that just wasn't possible. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, Is that, yeah, but can, 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 you, can you fool me, Josh? Can, can you have me? Could you put me in a situation where I'm talking and I don't know which is the bot and which is the real person? Is it, is well, it to that level yet? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the great thing, right? If I'm trying to create a completely standalone bot and I'm saying, you know, hey, speak to this bot or you know, speak to this, this could be a bot, could be a human, you know, see if you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. If, it's a completely, if, it's, if, it's, if it's just a bot, you're going to figure it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fool you. Mm-hmm. At some point, it won't understand you. It won't be sure. Oh. You'll get confused. Right, right. And, and if you're in a live chat world, then, you know, generally what happens, they, they, you, know, you speak to a bot, at some point it, it gets confused, it says, I don't understand, it has to then hand off to a human, uh-huh. and you're kind of annoyed. And then the gig is up. <laughs> right. The gig is up. Uh-huh. But in the messaging world, uh, because, because it's fine to have a five, ten minute delay between messages, mm-hmm. that means that, you know, the consumer sends a message, and you can have a system that can look at that and say, oh yeah, he's just asking, like, Where's the nearest store? I can tell him that. That's uh, like a really easy thing for, for mm-hmm. an automated system to mm-hmm. respond. Mm-hmm. If he then is like saying how upset he is uh, about his treatment and the, the, the bot is like, I have no idea how to respond to this. Uh-huh. It, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to say to the, gotcha. the customer, I don't know how to respond. I'm going to hand you to a human. Just behind the scenes, it can hand it to a human agent. And five minutes later, a wow. human agent can respond. Interesting. And you know, after the human agent has finished dealing with that, if the person comes back with another simple question, the bot could respond. The bot can respond. Gotcha. So it, it's a very, this very smart use of the uh, of the AI, Josh. To your point, which is to say, you let the bot do the stuff that has the the lower margin of error, the lower sort of complexity around it, and the humans can step in for the humans, right? Exactly. Interesting. And and you know, the asynchronous nature of messaging allows you to do that you can like gradually have automated systems uh, handling more and more and more over uh, time mm-hmm. without ever frustrating the customer without ever having to say to the customer we don't understand you um and, and that's the, the real beauty i think uh, of messaging mm-hmm. because you know in terms of what people want you know when people have a problem something is broken something isn't working you know, they just want the answer they want it quick they want it easy they don't want to repeat themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't want to wait on hold. Yeah. And if you can combine automation and humans in such a way that you're never frustrating the customer, mm-hmm. but all you're doing is just speeding up yes. you know, how quickly it get, it, they get a response and resolution, mm-hmm. then it's really win-win for everyone. That is incredibly fascinating. I also want you to comment uh, quickly, uh, Josh, on this idea. I was thinking about this uh, when you were speaking. The idea that, and this is this is probably the case, I'm guessing, within the work that you do, uh, for the brands that you work with, but you know, conditional on a particular, um, let's say, industry uh, company with a particular set of targeted customers, I would imagine that the types of things that would come in in terms of requests is not some massively infinite, you know, uh, amount of information. That at some point, 
the the AI can get smarter and smarter and smarter. And once you've seen like iteration after iteration of customer social care uh, customer experience, that the bots can get smarter. And and you probably mm-hmm. that you know probably you need less less of human over time as you get bigger, bigger, bigger data. Is this is this true? Has this been proven out in your work? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, when you, when you're first starting out in in this, you know, maybe you're only automating fifteen to twenty percent of inbound messages. You know, we, we can do that with our clients today, you know, pretty much from day one. You know, you can put a bot that sits at the beginning of a conversation and just finds out what the problem is and collects basic information and then takes it to a human agent. Mm-hmm. You know, something super simple like that, you know, can handle 15 to 20% of inbound messages, you know, in, instantly. But then over time, you can start, you know, A, having intelligence systems that are learning from, you know, what, what questions are coming in and what responses are being given. And you can gradually be building you know, more and more integrations where you can have you know, automated ways to look up the status of your flight or find the nearest location. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you can just gradually automate more and more and more. And I think we really will get to a point you know, over the next five years or so where you know, automated systems are you know, easily handling you know, 70 80% of all of the inbound messages that are coming in. And you know, humans are really there dealing with you're a kind of watching over the mm-hmm. AI systems. Mm-hmm. They're probably often like approving things that they're doing in certain situations, and being an escalation channel where they can deal with you know new or complex uh, or emotional issues, um, and really being there to to add value and figure out stuff that that you know, the computer hasn't seen before. Very very cool. Joshua March, founder and CEO of Converse Social. The book is called Message Me: The Future of Customer Service in the Era of Social Messaging and Artificial Intelligence. I want to end by you telling me to, and our listeners the key critical idea and the reason why they should go pick up the book, Josh. <laughs> cool. I, I think the big thing here is that you know, the combination of messaging and AI enables businesses to deliver a, a really much better customer experience, more effortless, convenient experience for customers, while at the same time lowering their cost to serve. And I think you know, every brand from a customer service perspective has been kind of desperately tra- tra- trading off between these two things uh, for kind of all of history. And I think messaging is the first channel that, that can really break that equation. And so the book is, you know, what, what are these big trends that have impacted the industry, the rise of social, the rise of messaging, the developments in AI, mm-hmm. and what do you need to do about it as a business? You know, what are the practical steps you need to take uh, in order to actually implement these uh, in your business over the next couple of years? Very, very cool stuff. Joshua March, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was a pleasure to have you. Cool. It's great to be on. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.